Hello, magic seekers, and welcome to It Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts, Laura and Shannon, and, and welcome, welcome to, to our, our podcast coven. Hello to our beautiful podcast, Coven. We're back with you for another episode. Yes, we are. Hi, everybody. Hello. And it's just us today. No yes. guests. We're just going to get into it. We've- yeah, we've hit the books. We've done some research and readings about some questions and interests that we've had chugging mm. along in the background for a while. So we're finally getting around to it. We are. And we had one of our lovely listeners, Easter, suggest an episode on witches familiars. Yes. So hi, here we Issa. are. Yeah, and hi, Easter. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, so, yeah, this is what we're going to be talking about today. And But before that, we do have a few... Oh, yeah, to read out. Housekeeping. I wanted to say hello and thank you very much. We wanted to say hello and yes. thank you very much to some beautiful new Patreons, and that's Lydia, Melissa, Karen, Carolina, Ash, and Linda. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for your support. And we're just announcing the next live Patreon QA date, which mm. is Thursday, the 26th of May. And it is at 7.30pm Sydney time. So obviously if you're abroad, have a look at your equivalent for wherever you are beaming in from. And the last one we had was lots of fun. It was great. We had quite a good turnout and really good conversation. And we've actually created a couple of episodes out of suggestions from what was brought up that night. So I feel as though that session was an episode, but it was brought to everybody by them because it was so cool. Like we got to listen in on everybody's thoughts and experiences and stories. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a great vibe. So. Hopefully, we'll bring it on again. Yeah, please join us. We look forward to it. Yeah, totally. So, shall we get into familiars? Yeah, familiars, because I didn't know what they were. Well. <laughs> I do now. Oh, same. My gosh. And there was a rabbit hole of um, oh, information gosh. out there, but it was it was awesome to look into it all. So, I thought, uh, first of all, when I started having a look to try and explain what a familiar is, and I jumped on and like looked at the usual like Wikipedia and all that. And as I was saying to you just before we got on air, yeah. was um, a lot of it comes back to that stereotype of the devil's work and familiars right. being a little demonic being. And, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is crazy, isn't it? That's, it is. That's a pop culture sort of swing on it it is yeah so um, familiars are way more than that yeah and I have another new book that I was gifted and it is absolutely beautiful and it's called the library of esoterica witchcraft and it has a beautiful um section in here about familiars so I thought I'd read from that because it just explains everything better so well wiki and google definitely (laughs) yes So familiars are guardians of the supernatural. The animal companions of witches are known as familiars. They can take the form of animals such as dogs, birds, toads, hares, and most notably cats. Felines are particularly favoured by witches in literature and myth. 
The witch Circe, for instance, is said to have lived among tame lions and wolves. Bonds are believed to develop between witches and their familiars in which a single consciousness is established. This unified relationship grants the familiars the ability to perform tasks or retrieve objects. Some have healing powers or harming potential, depending on their magical master's request. A familiar may simply serve as a guardian or spy and may be capable of shape-shifting when needed. In folkloric, shamanic and magical traditions, supernatural assistance abound throughout history everywhere in the world. Various spirit encounters arose according to specific customs and traditions. In ancient Greece, people believed that they were protected and aided by unseen or animal spirits in their daily matters. The Romans thought that their protective spirits called genius Loki inhabited and guarded specific areas. Spirit alliances formed in magical circles when witches gifted other witches their familiars, or familiars were said to come from the devil himself. Some witches would conjure their allies through spell work or by channeling their sexual force into an unsuspecting critter. Wow. Mm. So beasts have always been accompanied um, by witches. During the frenzied witch trials, if an accused witch had a pet, she was more likely to face the torture of being pricked by inquisitors searching for what was known as witch's marks. Places on the body that were believed to serve as nipples for familiars to suckle or where the devil had stamped his seal. A mole, scar or skin tag was considered evidence and means enough for conviction. Black cats were singled out for being the most notorious witch accomplices due to their nocturnal behaviour and their colour and were similarly killed for their supposed association. Witches were also believed to shapeshift into black cats for ease of travel and camouflage, reinforcing the necessity for extermination. As early as the 1400s, witchcraft art has depicted supernatural women with ebony felines, maligning them in history as evil. They were so frequently characterised as bad omens that we still think of them as that today. And actually today we're recording so on true. Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> So for those who are sensitive to elusive realms or drawn to the supernatural, a familiar may merely show up unexpectedly. Any living thing with whom we share an irresistible affinity with could be a spirit companion. Familiars may also be fleeting and appear in the guise of imaginary creatures, mentors offering guidance, support or a symbolic message if one is receptive and observant, observant enough to notice. I think that's an important uh point that you bring up that was all of it um beautiful thank you so much but when you were saying that this um relationship that a witch may have with a familiar might be fleeting or it might be long and it's all about I think you said early on in that passage it's all about that um shared bond and Mm. shared level of consciousness with one another that connection that they have yeah did you find that in some of your research yes because a lot of it we were talking about before we started recording, a lot of it comes down, of course, to what that animal itself symbolises and Mm -hmm. spirit animals and that sort of thing. So when you're looking at it in relationship to a witch's familiar, it is is a special relationship. And Mm. would you say it ties on the meanings of that animal as much as it does their relationship that they're having with one another? I'd say so. Yeah, Yeah, I think the particular animal would... Yeah, like have those strengths or... Um, those properties associated yeah. with their breed. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, and yeah. what they are. So, yeah. um, and the part about it being fleeting, well, I see that kind of more as um, signs. So, like yes. you know how. We've spoken to um, Laura Bowen about yes, animal messages, about animal messages, and um, so, you know those can be seen as familiars too. So absolutely, mm. yep. yeah, yeah, all bringers I, of messages. That's and right, and it's how you interpret that and the meaning you give it as well. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. I love it. I did too. So we decided that we would uh, look into a few different, more common ones. Yes, more common ones that are associated with witches in particular. Because right. obviously every animal on the planet yeah. has an association or a spirit really mm. and um, different meanings. So we had to narrow it down. It was yeah. a bit tricky, wasn't it? <laughs> it was so tricky. <laughs> and we've got to take it in turn. So I'm going to start off with Kat and then we'll throw over to Shannon. And who are you? What are you starting with? I'm going to start with the raven. The raven, beautiful. Mm. And then we'll go on and go from there. Yeah. But the cat's definitely the one I think that's most known as a witch's familiar. And like you were saying, um, black cats in particular Mm. and the fact that so many of them were killed during um, different points in time. But when I was researching, there was a big cat extermination, particularly in parts of Europe, and it was around the plague time as well. Oh, okay. And some historians, it's still quite a contentious point, but some have actually um, thrown the question out there that if so many cats weren't killed, would the plague have been as bad because the plague, of course, was carried by rats. Ah. So that's interesting. That is super interesting. It's hard to, you know, obviously prove it one way or another, but it's just thought-provoking. Fair call. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. During reading up on this, I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. But I thought I'd just touch on some more mythology as you were, um, you mentioned a little bit of it as well. Um, So in mythology, feline creatures are entwined with the narratives of magical women. Cats are associated with women of formidable stature but also with danger and deception. In Greek mythology, Diana, goddess of the hunt and moon and teacher of magic and witchcraft, shapeshifts into Lucifer's beloved pet cat to gain entrance into his chamber and seduce him. And in Norse mythology, Freya, goddess of fertility, war and death, would lead Val... Valkyries into battle to collect fallen soldiers, riding on a chariot led by two formidable blue cats. And according to Hebrew folklore, Lilith, notorious for being banished from the Garden of Eden for refusing to be subservient to Adam, shapeshifts into a black vampire cat named Elbrusha, preying on newborn babies. Wow. Yeah. And because, you know, like you were saying, um, the nocturnal nature of cats, mm. people automatically feel as though what are they doing when no one else is you yeah. know, aware. And that vampire element, I guess, with yeah. well, them yeah. being creatures of the night. And <laughs> <laughs> Like Lilith, who refused to be domesticated and forced into a life of subservience, cats were stigmatised for their unapologetic independence. They were seen as creatures aligned with the devil and all things evil. In 1233, Pope Gregory VI issued a public decree that officially associated cats with witchcraft and, more specifically, Satan. Wow. The decree, Vox in Rama, was a response to rumoured satanic cults in Germany and depicted black cats as part of their devil-worshipping rituals. 
Still, the stigma against cats, especially black cats, was real and it accompanied the witch hunts of early modern Europe. From 15th to the 18th century, countless women accused of witchcraft were killed. One could be accused of witchcraft for just owning a cat. Witches were believed to to take shapeshift into cats in order to kill babies and children or to ride cats through the night to their Sabbath gatherings. Cats were killed along with witches. They were burned and thrown from towers. Black cats were especially feared. Even today, black cats are less likely to be adopted and they run a higher risk of being tortured or killed due to backwards thinking. That's awful. Yeah, it's sad, but it's funny. I want a black cat. Yeah, same. If I had to. I want a black one and a white one. That'd be cute. That'd be very cute. (laughs) Yeah, if I had to get a cat. Oh, I shouldn't say had to get a cat. Yeah. Yes, you do. You absolutely We've got dogs, so I think it's going very well. But if we got a cat, I'd love a black one. Yeah. Black one with green eyes would be amazing. Yes. Beautiful. I have a cat, but it lives with my parents now. Oh, there you go. (laughs) And we called him, I called him Hunter. Hunter Valley. <laughs> and he's nearing the end of his nine lives. He's, oh, a, he's wow. an old boy, but he's a Burmese. Yeah. And he's, they call his colour chocolate, but it's more of a fawn sort of colour. Beautiful. And he has green eyes. And I just, he's beautiful. I love him dearly. I had a cat when we were growing up and I think it was a stray. Like when we moved um, into a new house at Terrigal, this yep. cat kind of came with the house. Yeah. and So it just arrived. Yeah. Aww. And it's named with Cheezles. 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 That's what we named him. <laughs> so and cute. He was a beautiful cat and um, we had it, it for years. Yeah, he kind of was white with like orange and oh. brown and black yep. kind oh, of. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I don't know what you call that, but um, but sad story. So my mum. um so my little brother, well, one of my little brothers, he's seven years younger than me. Yeah. Uh, Mum was in labour and reversing oh. out of the driveway. Well, Dad was driving and oh, they, right. they I was ran Cheezels she... over. Ooh. Yeah. Cheezels didn't move. No. No. It was middle of the night and, yeah, yeah they were in a hurry to get to the hospital <gasps> oh, and they oh. ran him over. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> Which I didn't find out about for years. It was. They didn't tell you. No, no. The cat ran away. <laughs> cat Cat went to the farm. Yes. yes. So oh, that was poor a bit sad. So that was yeah. That was Cheezles. And then I did have another cat when I was a teenager. Name was Merlin. Oh, that's yeah. a good cat name. He was yeah. He was a good cat. The top name for a black cat is I, I came across this on oh, one of the searches. Okay. Salem. Oh, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. Oh, wait, we've just started, you know, um, we were digressing from our cat talk, but it was yep. cat talk, but it was not it's the talk, talk that I had prepared, but that's <laughs> even better. I love that. Um, yeah, so it just goes on to say maybe because of the cat's nocturnal nature that it became connected to witches. After all, nighttime was the time they held their meetings as far as the church was concerned because, mm-hmm. of course, the church knows all. Absolutely. Um, S.E. Schlosser at American Folklore says, in the 1500s there arose the belief that witches could shapeshift themselves into the form of black cats so they could roam freely about the country wreaking havoc and spying on people because that's what witches do. The belief that witches could turn themselves into black cats crossed the Atlantic with the first American settlers and was a firmly held superstition in New England by the time of the Salem witch hunts. So it's just it just spreads, doesn't it? It's it like does. these days. 
Um, in addition, a common seafaring superstition was that if a black cat walked onto a ship and then walked off again, the ship was doomed to sink on its next voyage. Jeez. So there's some more folklore and legends. These are just little quick ones. Mm-hmm. 16th century Italians believed if a black cat jumped on the road of an ill person, the person would soon die. I would dare say that if that person was ill, that person might die, whether or not a cat jumped yeah. on the road in front of <laughs> Definitely. them. In colonial America, Scottish immigrants believed that a black cat entering a wake was bad luck and could indicate the death of a family member. Mm. Is that another family member, not the family member that another is one. dead? Another one, it must be, yeah. You know. Alpatian folklore said that if you had a sty on the eyelid, rubbing the tail of a black cat on it would make the sty go away. Only if you didn't have really bad hay fever. Could you imagine? allergic to cats, then it'd get <laughs> ten times worse, I imagine. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> if you find a single white hair on your otherwise black cat, it's a good omen. Oh. Mm-hmm. And in England's border countries and southern Scotland, a strange black cat on the front porch brings good fortune. There you go. And the Welsh have a legend of a Celtic cat goddess that describes a witch that had cat minions to do her bindings on earth. She embodies characteristics such as wisdom and enchantment. I couldn't find that name. I was looking for the name. Yeah. I couldn't find it. So um, the cat as a you know, animal messenger, um, provides messages of balance, knowing when to stop, reflect and listen to your instincts. Uh, Spiritual meaning is of being aware of when to act and when to relax. So spiritually, um, the symbolism speaks of flexibility and agility and always being able to fall on your feet. As they do. Yes. Mm. And the whole nine lives thing as well, it's just coming back again and again and being able to recover. Yeah. And get on with things. Well, they're a pretty cool spirit animal, I think. Yeah. And as a, as a companion or a familiar, I'd like to hear of any witches out there that have them and uh, if you could write in and tell us of your special bond with yeah, your Yeah, definitely. I would love to hear that. Because I know people talk about staring into the eyes of cats and it will either unnerve them or you feel that mm. sort of connection with them. And you tend to be one person or the other, a person that, you know, avoids that eye contact yeah. or someone that looks for it. So it would be interesting to hear from people out there that have have feline friends. Please let us know. Yeah. And we'd love to know their names too. And it's quite old names, yeah. (laughs) It's quite common to see cats, you know, on Instagram of some of the witch pages I follow I know as well. So they're still a common companion. Definitely. I think so. I want one now. I want a couple now, (laughs) right now. And my hunter back. (laughs) Well, I shall now introduce you all to the raven oh nice and i was originally going to do the crow but when i started researching they're very very similar and there was a lot more information about the raven so i've just gone with ravens yes so the raven is one of several large blackbirds belonging to the corvid family that includes jays magpies nutcrackers jackdaws and crows so they can be found on every continent except south america and antarctica Oh, mm. well, I guess a blackbird in Antarctica. Yes, wouldn't survive. Wouldn't survive very well. Although peng- penguins. Mm. Oh, black and white. Black and white. Black and white, true. 
uh, and they are among the most intelligent and adaptable of birds in the world. So Carl Jung associated the raven with the archetype of the shadow, the dark side of our psyche. Uh, it is representative of the unconscious, its depth, darkness and power. Our shadow or our raven must be fully integrated to allow ourselves to be in touch with our most authentic self. In this regard, the raven is very much a symbol of our inner truth. The raven is considered a messenger of the gods and is associated with the sun, weather, longevity, beginnings, bad luck and death. It's also associated with the visible and invisible worlds and considered a bird of omen and prophecy. In Scottish mythology, the Kaliak, who I spoke about in yeah. our Samhain episode recently, can shapeshift into a raven. The ancient Greeks trusted in the raven to carry messages from the divine, particularly Apollo. The Norse god Odin, who is the spirit of war, wisdom and death, also the lord of ecstasy, shamanism and esoteric wisdom, had a pair of ravens that sat upon his shoulders. This pair were named Munin and Hugin or Huggin. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> Munin and Hugin. <laughs> Munin and Huggin or Munin and Hugin. Oh, I'm my not goodness. sure. It's probably neither. <laughs> Bloody Australians. I know, right? <laughs> and represented memory and thought. They would fly all over the world each morning and bring back news to Odin, whispering uh, gossip and secrets into his ear. In Christianity, the raven is often associated with the story of Noah's Ark. It's said that the ravens feasted on the bodies of those who didn't survive the floods. Oh, dark. Mm, very dark. The ravens were banished from the ark and became a symbol of the defiance of God. Yeah. So various Native American tribes tell stories of the raven as the creator of the world, including the Inuit and Salish tribes. Raven is also a trickster who paired humans together and acted as a protector and provider. In some Native traditions, the raven's song was symbolic of sexual power and temptation and was considered to be a powerful totem whose presence aided in rituals. It aided the ability to shift states of consciousness and is symbolic of the power of magic and important messages carried across time and space. Raven teaches how to hear messages from the other world and honouring your shadow side. Raven can be an omen that transformation is underway, calling you to open your mind to new possibilities. Change and the ability to shapeshift are likely when you encounter Raven. Ooh. Mm. So that is the raven. I love it. And it's just reminded me of when I did an episode on Turns Out It's Haunted about the London Tower. Yes, and the resident ravens. The resident ravens. Yeah. Because the royal family still believe that keeping them there will ensure their reign. And if they yeah. were to all fly away, I think it was, that their um, the palace would crumble yeah. But you visited there. I did. And, and you I had have photos. a photo of that, well, one of the ravens. Yeah. yeah. A really close up one. They're massive. Yeah. Absolutely huge. I got a shock at how big, like we get a lot of crows here. Yeah, they're smaller. Um, they're way smaller. And they're still pretty big birds yeah. really. But, yeah, this raven at the tower was unbelievable. So I will find that photo and I'll, I'll post it to our you, socials. You shared them to me um, after we did that episode and I never put it up on Turns Out Tornado <laughs> because I'm just you so hopeless. I know. <laughs> so it's good though because now we can use it. Yes. We would have used it again anyway but <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to write that down to remind you to do it because that sure. was interesting. Mm. 
I love it. I wonder if anybody has a pet raven. I wonder if Issa's got ravens around. Yeah. I she wonder. might. She might. Um, great. I've got, um, I've got the frog and when I looked up frog, well, when we were deciding on mm-hmm. what familiars to even look into, the frog and the toad came up and I thought, oh, I don't know about the toad. I'll just do the frog. And then when I went looking, a lot of it's really toad related. Yeah. But they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, they're similar, similar. And, and different. Mm-hmm. And then it also made, made me think about um, Harry Potter because there was, I think it was Neville, the character on there, had a toad. Ah. And they didn't use the word familiar. I, I can't remember. I think they just called it a magical pet, but each one of them had a magical pet. Okay. Whether it be a mouse, I think. Harry had an owl. Mm-hmm. And someone, I, I'm sure it was Neville, had a had a toad. Yeah. Frog. Familiars. Remember. Yeah. So they didn't use that word, but it was like quite obvious. Yeah. It was so cool. Uh, right. And I got information from, and I just want to quickly credit the information I got um, for the cat from Wisdom, the Alchemist Kitchen. Um, dot com catches and witches and magical history and the enchanted circle of witches um, was also for the cat but for the spider that I've coming I've got coming up a little bit later in case I forget um, then but for the frog I read a beautiful um, piece of information called frog magic and folklore at um, learnreligions.com. oh that's a great website yeah. And uh, there was another blog compiled by George Knowles. So thanks, guys, for all your information. Um, and many differing and contradictory beliefs have survived to the present day and past associations with witchcraft, medicine, weather, birth, death and rebirth with frogs. And it's contradictory because it's like birth, death and rebirth, but that's because the frog is strongly linked with transformation Mm. um, because the frog itself and toes, I suppose, uh, they undergo um, multiple stages of life, of the life cycle. They start off as eggs hatching into tadpoles, limbless aquatic larva with gills and a long flat tail. Legs and lungs develop and the tail gradually disappears as the tadpole approaches the adult stage. This denotes the awakening of one's creativity. When frog enters your life, it is an invitation to leap into your creative power. So it's quite like there's so much symbolism and so Mm. much power associated with uh, frogs and toads. And I guess as as a familiar you, I suppose you could keep one in your house, but if yeah. you live near waterways, they would be around. We've got tons of them on our property. There you go. Because we've got a big. Both frogs um, and toads? Or? I've only seen frogs, but we've got a big culvert that runs down the whole length of the property. Um, yeah. And it was only funny, yesterday my sister was over and you could just hear them because it was raining. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my gosh, listen to the frogs. Like, when is so it loud. not raining? <laughs> I know, gosh. It just hasn't stopped raining all year pretty much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've got stacks of them. And because of all the rain, we've got massive puddles everywhere and there's tadpoles everywhere. Wow. So, yeah, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? And they're great because they eat the mosquito larvae. Yeah. Which is great. And I love the sound of them. Yeah, well, it's indicative of a healthy environment too. Mm. When you've got frogs around, it's because they're in a healthy space because they're quite, um, they can be quite susceptible to pollution and all of that sort of stuff. So Mm. they will go or literally just die if it's not healthy. So despite it being like the rain being a pain in the ass, it's 
it's good for the frogs. It is good <laughs> for frogs and ducks. <laughs> yes, that's true. about it. Yeah, not for house building. Not for house building. Mm. <laughs> There's an old British legend that carrying a dried frog in a pouch around your neck will prevent <laughs> epileptic seizures. In some rural, rural areas, it's just the frog's liver that gets dried and worn. It would be tiny. Could you imagine trying wow. to dissect a frog? So with, I don't know how much the information that I'm going to read will go into um, <laughs> familiars because a lot of the stuff I came across was the magical properties and, yeah. and using sort of frogs and toads in other ways rather than living. Okay, so, so apologies. not as a familiar, more as a, a magical tool. A tool of the week, yeah. some may say. But yeah. I guess, yeah, as a familiar, like we were saying, having them around is one thing, but a familiar really denotes that connection you have to a, one in particular mm. rather than, a, rather than a, a group. So I suppose it's just a matter of what you've got, what you would choose yeah. it to have. But I'm just going to read out some information that I found interesting. I wonder what a group of frogs is called. Oh. Is it a flock of frogs? A flock. I reckon it would be like a, a warble of frogs or something like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Live frogs appear in a number of folk cures. It is believed, sorry, froggies, that putting a live frog in your mouth will cure thrush. Wow. And that swallowing live frogs, presumably small ones, can cure whooping cough and tuberculosis. Now, everybody, we know this isn't true. Please don't try yeah, please it. Don't this is just interesting folklore in your mouth <laughs> information. We're not or suggesting anyone do this. Don't, don't put frogs anywhere to treat thrush. Please. Just use canestin. Uh-oh. Rubbing a live frog or toad on a wart will cure the wart, but only if you impale the frog on a tree and let him die. Oh, That's awful. Don't do that. Ever, please. But it's interesting. It is interesting. Bit weird. In early Christianity, demonologists often referred to frogs as the witch's familiar or agent of the devil. The fact that frogs resided in swamps and stagnant pools, often dirty and unsanitary places, was used to exemplify the power of consecrated holy water to expel evil spirits and purify the sinners. Witches were thought to use frogs and toads in satanic rituals and to concoct malicious-sounding spells and potions from their body parts. Some believe that a witch could be identified by a mark shaped like a toad's foot secreted on her body or that the image of a toad would be visible in her left eye. Wow. Other myths tell of witches extracting toad secretions or collecting toad saliva for use in flying potions and invisibility spells. Mm. Could be true. Could be. <laughs> well, I've heard about that frog mm. poison. Is it called Cambo? Oh. And it's, it's a hallucinogenic. I mean, yes. People use it, it is, in it's ritual and it's pretty potent yeah. apparently. So. And South America have lots of sort of poisonous mm. secretions on toads and frogs and whatnot that yeah. they've really well known and used for a long time. Witches were also believed to control the weather by concocting brews from frogs, toads and snakes, often referred to as toad soup. Undoubtedly, many experienced illness or death after ingesting or applying some sort of frog-made brew, including their toxic secretions. Of course. (laughs) 
Such folklore and popular mythology was the result of inquisitional propaganda to eliminate the old pagan religions and prosecute witches with charges of heresy during the persecution years. Frogs and toads since ancient times have been highly regarded for possessing medicinal properties. Pieces taken from a frog's body were used as aphrodisiacs to aid impotence and boost fertility. A frog's liver was believed to be an antidote to all poisons, while a toad's lungs provided the means to the perfect murder of a wayward husband. Wow. (laughs) In many shaman traditions of the Americas, hallucinogenic compounds derived from toads are used in religious rituals for communion with the spirit world and for self-transcendence. In many cases, these myths have some foundation in truth, as some species contain compounds both poisonous and hallucinogenic. So interesting, isn't it? It is. A widely held superstition concerned the fabulous toadstone, a jewel that was supposed to be found inside the toad's head. This jewel, placed in a ring or a necklace, would heat up or change colour in the presence of poison, thereby protecting the wearer from foul play. Like a mood ring. Yeah. Wow. A toadstone. There you go. I, I, I hadn't heard that No, one. I have not heard that either. I always get an education <laughs> when we do these just episodes. Interesting. It's just like mind blown. <laughs> this is like going spiralling into yeah. animal familiars. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's been eye-opening. It has. So that's the frog slash toad. Fascinating. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. What have you got? Well, I've got the snake up oh, next. Nice. So many people have a big fear of snakes. Mm. I'm not one of them. We've got a pet python called Ziggy. You he's, have a snake. I do. He's pretty massive now. I don't know. He's like eight, nine foot long. He's pretty big. How old is he? Um, well, we got him when he was about three. I don't know. He'd be about. 10? He'd have to be about 10. Wow. Yeah, they can live for like 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a resident snake in this house. Ah, okay. A Yep. Yeah, it, which is fun to come across every now and again <laughs> <laughs> in the roof or in the yard. Never oh. too far away. Yeah, well, Ziggy's awesome. Like we've, I don't know, like I, I know people get really freaked out. We used to have him in an enclosure in our old house <laughs> mm-hmm. Um because we were renovating at the time and I had him in a cabinet right as you walked in the front door. Oh, wow. And one of my friends um, wouldn't even come in the house so we had to have coffee outside because (laughs) she was that terrified, even though he was in like a full-on enclosure, enclosure. but couldn't even stand to look at him. Um, But in all honesty, I'd be more scared of my dogs who were like the most (laughs) friendly little piggies ever. Mm. I'd be more worried about them biting someone than the snake. He's that chill and... Yeah, they're not aggressive. Well, yeah, he's been a good pet. Easy pet. I try hard to feel calm, but, yeah, the instant I see a snake, I'm like, yeah, wow. It's just visceral. It's just within, Mm. yeah, fear. Yeah, yeah. But um, the only time I've actually been scared of him is when I wasn't expecting him to be there because in our old house, Oscar used to have him in his room in the enclosure and he had a terrible habit of not closing the enclosure properly. And I remember one day just like walking up the stairs, like with a cup of tea, going to sit on the lounge and the snake's like in the lounge room. Oh, my God. Just there. Yeah. And that's the only time. Like it was more of a shock. Surprised. Of, yes, exactly. Yeah. Didn't expect him to be there. Oh, 
just one last thing before you get started. (laughs) Did you ever watch True Story? It was a TV show that Hamish and Andy made. Maybe. Was that a long time ago? Yeah, it was a while ago, but it was an interview-style format and they would have someone that had written in, but they would come and talk to them about their true story and there was a female that came in and spoke about her. I think it was ex-boyfriend that Mm -hmm. had a pet python. It was a female. And this pet python was around the house quite often and she had this true story. It was horrendous of this python. Uh, So the boyfriend went... For the day, he was a trainee, got up early, but this python had it in for her. Like, he was actually jealous and was sort of attacked her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, sized her up and tried to sized her strangle up. her. She was asleep, like, dozing in and out of sleep in, in the morning and just had her hands up above her head, oh, lying down. No. She felt something, like, grab her hand and she didn't realise what it was straight away. And then she looked up and realised that the snake had its mouth around oh, her, wow. her hand and she thought, I know what I'll do, I'll sit up really quickly and shake it off. Oh. So she sat up really quickly, it didn't let go, but then it eventually wrapped itself around her yeah. and I think she had another hand free. She rang the boyfriend, boyfriend said, it doesn't like water, go hop in the shower. Oh, my God. So she did that but then it um, it coiled off her but then it sprung back on her and there was a shower screen and I don't know if it got broken. Anyway, oh she was, God. yeah, she raced out of the house and like chased her and then she was on top of a car or something and someone else had to come over. That sounds like a demonic snake. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't want to add to people's fear of snakes. (laughs) And I'm afraid that I just did. Yeah, I reckon. That's Hamish and Andy true story. So hopefully I just became really aware of this is not the direction we wanted to go with snakes. (laughs) After hearing about your wonderful Ziggy. Yeah, my Ziggy's lovely, but that one's not so much. (laughs) I just wonder if it was a jealousy thing. That's crazy. Well, you wouldn't think that a reptile would be jealous well maybe who knows if if we're you know saying that that people can have relationships with animals where they're on some level consciously connected and if this snake had bonded with the with the tradie boyfriend and there's another female it's animal kingdom isn't it please let us know listeners if you have a snake familiar that yeah you have that kind of relationship with where it's very protective protective there's all kinds of snake relationships I've read about but this is your segment and I'm so sorry to have hijacked it this no, far in. Good. I found that very interesting and horrifying but sorry I'm, I'm sorry everybody I don't know why I do this. <laughs> oh, all right so okay. let's go into the snake. So ancients around the world thought of the snake as a symbol of life, change, healing and longevity. Because the snake moves along the ground, many connect it to the element of earth. And snake reminds us to stay grounded even when exploring spiritual pursuits. One of the strongest symbolisms of the snake is personal growth and transformation by shedding all that no longer serves you, just as they shed their skins. Have you ever watched a snake shed its skin? It is fascinating. like In part, not an entirety. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch how they do it. Mm. It goes quite a long time and they get yeah. quite tired after it. But Oh, you can imagine. Yeah. It would be taxing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, to the Celtic people, snakes were among their favourite animal symbols 
we see this reflected in their elaborate, ugh, I can't even talk today, elaborate, <laughs> not to work, myths and legends. Snakes represented graceful travel over any terrain, transformative healing and a deep connection to the underworld as well as the heavens. Snakes' behaviour helped teach the ancient Celts how to live in sync with nature and in particular the seasons. Because a snake's eyes glaze over as they shed their skin, that's a true story, they go really... Um, Milky. Milky. Yeah, that's how we know when Ziggy's going to shed. Wow. Uh, the Celtic snake has become a symbol of altered states and is believed that while in that state, snakes are tapping into all the knowledge there ever has been or ever will be. Oh. That's pretty cool. That is so cool. So why does the snake symbolise healing? You're probably very familiar with the two snake symbols. Yeah. You would be. Yeah. The staffs of, okay, oh, how do you say this, Aslopius? Aslopeus and Hermes. These two symbols are used throughout medicine, such as on doctor's degree certificates. The staff of Aslopeus is a rod with one snake wrapped around it and the staff of Hermes is a winged rod with two snakes. Both Aslopeus and Hermes were gods who were associated with healing. Besides ancient Greece, other cultures including Nordic, Hebrew cultures associated snakes with healing and medicine. It's believed that our ancient ancestors saw snakes shedding their skin as if they were being reborn. Therefore, they symbolise the body's ability to renew and heal itself. Yeah. And snakes are also <laughs> symbols of primal energy known as kundalini, which is an ancient Sanskrit word. Kundalini is a healing form of divine spiritual energy that is sourced from the base of the spine. It's said to lay dormant until it's awakened through spiritual practices such as Tantra, Kundalini Yoga and Hatha Yoga. The symbol for Kundalini energy is a coiled snake that is waiting to unwind. Many yoga practitioners believe that awakening Kundalini energy in the body can put you on a path to enlightenment. While in Indian traditions, Kundalini is considered a powerful form of feminine energy. Snakes are also symbols of primal male energy. This primal energy center in both men and women is associated with the root chakra. Snakes shed their skin several times a year and for this reason are symbols of transformation, renewal and rebirth. Snakes can also create a continuous circle with their bodies as well as a spiral, therefore powerful symbols of eternity. Mm. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty interesting creatures. Such powerful symbology in all mm. of that too, isn't it? Very much. Oh, and I just pictured, you know, that one of the snake eating its own tail. Yeah. Mm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I know in the dream time as well, the rainbow serpent. Yeah. Yes. That was huge. That was like of all creation, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Amazing. Well, I am taking us over to the spider. Yay. And when we moved into this house, not only did we get a snake. <laughs> In the roof and in the gardens. It's a python of some sort. I think you said it was a diamond python. Yeah. Show it to yep. you? Yeah. You did show me a picture. Yeah. And I showed Oscar. And yes. Oscar is the yeah. master um, of snakes. Well, we <laughs> had spiders. There was little spiders inside. There's little black ones all around often. Um, but there was, it was funny, like right where I sort of set out my meditation corner for myself, there was a beautiful big black spider on the outside of the window and it was a real hairy one. It was She was gorgeous and she'd make the most beautiful um, spider webs and whatnot and I watched her for ages. Like she was always in the same little downpipe 
little sort of hollowed out area she'd she'd hide of a morning but of an evening she'd weave the most beautiful webs Mm. and it was really a nice way to not only enter the house but set up that space and be able to watch her she was gorgeous yeah and it was so cool to go out and see if she'd caught a little fly you'd see her wrap that up and I'm I'm impressed that you love spiders. I'm the same. Yeah. I don't mind them. Well, cockroaches mm. freak me out. I hate the little fuckers. They're <laughs> crunchy. They can fly. They shit everywhere. They're, They're the, the ultimate survivor though too. Oh, they make me want to vomit every yeah. time I see one. But yeah. spiders, give me a spider any day. I don't mind them. Mm. My, um, my dad worked in entomology, so I've been around insects since forever. Wow. And he used to have, he, he probably still has at his house, um, a collection of spiders in a little, in little glass. They're not orbs, they're like a dome, little glass domes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'll have to see if he's still got them. Yeah, that'd be they're awesome. Pretty. They were, I used to take them to show and tell when I was in primary I school, wrapped in, t- in tea towels. <laughs> Everyone would be like, bring the spiders. <laughs> Lara's dad's cool. <laughs> I can't believe he let me do that, actually, because I had glass. Yeah, I would wow. never let my kid do that. Anyway, <laughs> over to spiders. <laughs> but I liked I liked that relationship with the spider that I got to just appreciate and watch and view. I was a real spectator. and Because, mm. you know, my initial thing was to knock down all the webs, but she was just gorgeous. I couldn't. So I'm going to throw over to some Greek mythology. It's the story of Arachne and Athena. In Greek mythology, um, there was a very talented mortal weaver um, called Arachne. In fact, her weaving was described as being better than that of the gods. Athena, the Greek goddess of war, hearing this, challenged Arachne to a competition because apparently Athena was the one that taught Arachne to weave oh, and then hey. Arachne apparently got too big for her boots and said, I'm, I'm way better than, I'm better than, you, than my teacher. And the teacher did not like hearing that. Fair enough. Yeah, fair. So Athena tried to put her in a place but... Uh, after the challenge that Athena obviously took on, in the end, Arachne was the superior weaver indeed and much to Athena's jealousy and she was also a little bit humiliated, the goddess decided to change Arachne into a spider destined to weave for eternity, hence the word that describes all the species of spiders as arachnids. Wow. I know. I love that story. Same. I hope to God it's true. Same. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, And in Native American folklore, Grandmother Spider is said to have created the universe. She wove her web and when it was laced with dew, she flung it into the air and the dew became the stars in the sky. Each day as she reweaves her web, she reweaves creation and life. Other Native American myths tell of how Grandmother Spider brought fire and the sun to the people. Further, Grandmother Spider is known as the keeper of words. As she wove her web, she brought writing to the people. Beautiful. It reminds me of Charlotte from Charlotte's Yes. Web. <laughs> I cried when I watched oh, that. <laughs> I know. I know. Usually identified as female energy, the spider has been a great teacher to many over time. Symbolic of being the creator of the web of all universal life, when viewing vibration and frequency as the natural law, one can only begin to comprehend the sheer energy of the spider and the reasons for its reverence. As a familiar, when taking on the spider as a familiar, learn to understand its true existence. 
So its web as a connection to the web of life, one that creates and also has the power to destroy. Everything has a purpose. To understand the spider's connection in the web of life, one needs to connect to the spider energy, becoming familiar with its powers. For example, the silk spun by a spider can create the most enigmatic sacred geometry. This spun silk is said to be five times stronger than a strand of steel the same thickness. Science still cannot replicate the incredible strength of spider silk. Spiders are highly tuned to vibrations. In fact, they are said to tune their silk web to particular vibrations when weaving to attract certain insects, similar to to the tuning of an instrument. These vibrations are also important in courtship, attracting the right partner for breeding purposes and acting as safety nets in times of danger. Great many lessons can be taught from the spider, one that includes resilience, consistency, creativity, patience, receptivity and connection with the shadow self. Remember the sensitive vibes of the spider and her web extends to your own vibes. Everything is frequency and vibration. If you find a spider roaming around your home, it's considered bad luck to kill them. From a practical standpoint, they do eat a lot of nuisance insects. So if possible, just let them be or release them outside. However, (laughs) here in Australia, Mm. um, you can't always do that because we have poisonous ones and there's white tips and red backs and funnel webs. So maybe don't don't (laughs) try to catch them and maybe don't even let them be there. Um, So there is a massive disclaimer on that. Obviously, (laughs) be sensible. Yes. My nan used to suck them up with a vacuum cleaner. Oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) get anywhere near them yeah yeah well it's any of those nasty ones yeah exactly yeah you're not you don't mess with them leave them be Mm -mm. yeah so just be aware of that rosemary ellen gilly says in her encyclopedia of witches witchcraft and wicca that in some traditions of folk magic a black spider ready Mm -hmm. eaten between two slices of buttered bread will imbue a witch with great power (gasps) If you're not interested in eating spiders, no. <laughs> some traditions say that catching a spider and carrying it in a silk pouch around your neck will help prevent illness. So just do that if you don't want to eat it, okay? But does it have to be alive in the said silk pouch? Because that would be a, a little bit of a gamble. <laughs> I, I, I don't need to be powerful. No, I'm fine <laughs> okay. with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine watching them from afar. I'm fine. Don't need it as a pendant. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. Um, what do we hear? Oh, in some neo-pagan traditions, the spiderweb itself is seen as a symbol of the goddess and of the creation of life. Incorporate spiderwebs into meditation or spell work relating to goddess energy. Spiders are cool. They're beautiful. And their webs are amazing when you look at them and the detail and that they can yeah. just do all that from their bum. It's pretty I know. incredible. Like if only... Our bums were that useful. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. I just, I love photos. I love coming across photos of the dew or the rain on spiders' webs. They're my favourite. beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Laura. You're welcome. Well, I am going to talk about the owl. And I think the owl is one that a lot of people feel an affinity with. Mm. Um, So these birds were most often associated With the crone aspect of the goddess, the owl is often a guide to and through the underworld. 
a creature of keen sight in darkness and a silent and swift hunter. It can help unmask those who would deceive you or take advantage of you. In English folklore, the barn owl had a sinister reputation, probably because it was a bird of darkness, and darkness was always associated with death. During the 18th and 19th centuries, the poets Robert Blair and William Wordsworth used the barn owl as their favourite bird of doom. Bird of doom, you say? (laughs) A bird of doom. During that same period, many people believed that the screech of an owl flying past the window of a sick person meant imminent death. Oh, Jesus. It's mm. grim. It is a little. The barn owl was also used to predict the weather. A screeching owl meant cold weather or a storm was coming. If the owl was heard during foul weather, a change in the weather was at hand. There was a custom of nailing an owl to a barn door to ward off evil and lightning, and this persisted well into the 19th century. Oh, so, why, do you, oh. why is there so much talk of live animals and I know, it's a little doing heinous things? Sad. And we do not condone that and at all. Ever, ever, ever. Ever. Among early English folk cultures um, and cures, alcoholism was treated with owl egg. The drunkard was prescribed raw owl eggs and a child given this treatment was thought to gain lifetime protection against drunkenness. Wow, a raw owl egg. Raw owl egg. (laughs) Owl eggs cooked until they turned to ashes were also used as a potion to improve eyesight. Owl broth was given to children suffering from whooping cough. And Odo of Cheriton, a Kentish preacher in the 12th century, has this explanation of why the owl is nocturnal. The owl had stolen the rose, which was a prize awarded for beauty, and the other birds punished it by allowing it to come out only at night. Oh, Mm. interesting. And in parts of northern England, it's considered very lucky to see an owl. In ancient Greek mythology, the owl was sacred to Athena, goddess of night and wisdom. Athena had an owl on her shoulder that revealed unseen truths to her. This owl had the ability to light up Athena's blind side, enabling her to speak the whole truth as opposed to only a half-truth. And the Ainu people in Japan trust the owl because it gives them notice of evil approaching. They revere the owl and believe it mediates between the gods and men. The bird also features prominently in Celtic folklore where it's considered to have magical powers, again because of its ability to see in the dark. Zulus and other West African nations consider the owl a powerful influence in casting spells and think that using parts of the owl gives great strength to a person involved with magical incantations. Symbolically, the owl is associated with magic, the moon and witches. Owl energy is related to instincts, clairvoyance and the ability to truly see what is happening all around you. Mm, So that is the owl. I want to be like Athena and have an owl perched on my shoulder. Oh, wouldn't that be handy? To tell me the other side of everything. I know. To check my blind spots. That would be amazing. Wouldn't be that A just very be? good familiar to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you. And it was Hedgewick. That's the name of the owl from Harry Potter that ah, Harry had. Ah, yes, that's right. Harry Potter is alive and well in my house because both my <laughs> girls love it, so I can't. Step away from it. My apologies. I wish I had those books when I was growing up. Oh, it would have been amazing. So cool. Mm. Kids get awesome stuff. But it's good for adults too, I suppose. So my final little mouse, yeah, 
My final little mouse. I just spoiled it. My final little familiar is the little mouse. Little mouse. And I came across the most, um, I'm probably going to butcher it when I read it out, but uh, it's well-written information on the mouse and what the mouse has to teach us uh, from a website called uh, wildgratitude.com, meaning of the mouse spirit animals. So I wanted to credit that um, that website and that the person that created that website because I'm going to read a lot off it mm-hmm. because it was just so beautiful. It was so well put together and so well thought out that there's no way I would have been able to do that yeah. on my own. And once I'd read it, I was like, well, I can't go anywhere Different just going to use that. this one. It's beautiful. Yep. So thank you so much to wildgratitude.com. So mouse has only that which is right in front of its eyes. It reaches up to grab a stalk of grass and pulls it down towards him. Uh, and she does reference him a lot and I try and change it to it, but my apologies. <laughs> Bowing the blade. Then mouse sits for what seems like hours inspecting and picking every last morsel of seed off the single stalk with its dexterous little hands. Mouse has many predators, too many to count. Rather than overwhelm itself with the complexity of watching, listening and smelling for his enemies far and wide, Mouse does the opposite. Ever heard the phrase, the devil is in the details? Then the details are something to avoid, right? The details are something to fight and resent. We end up hating doing what has to get done. The errands, chores and menial tasks wear at us and takes precious time and energy away from what we'd rather be doing. The phrase, the devil is in the details, actually originates from the phrase, God is in the details. Let me say it again on behalf of our quiet as a mouse little friend that doesn't always speak up on its own behalf. God is in the details. Now sit with that. Changes things, doesn't it? What if you started to see God in this sense slash spirit slash source, Mm -hmm. of course, is in the details of every little thing? When you stop to say good morning to your daughter slash sister slash friend, take in the radiance of the light in their eyes. Let the moonlight capture your imagination when you take out the trash late at night. Allow the breeze to bring the scent of lilacs to you as you walk out to your car. What if when you flung that huge desire to live a full life full of purpose out to the cosmos, you received an answer no bigger, no louder than a mouse? Would you notice it? Would you be grateful for it? Or are you waiting for a wizard to come, (laughs) wand in hand, and make your dreams materialise in a shower of sparks and magic? So I love that passage because it really talks about having a look and really making the most of every little detail that's in front of you right now Mm. rather than waiting, wishing, hoping for something that you see as bigger and might not ever happen because Mm. you're not using what you've already got. Yeah, true. I like that. Um, And meaning of the mouse, meaning of mouse the monk. So this writer writes on um, likening, yeah, mouse the monk. What does that even mean? Mouse symbolism serves so many. The greatest sacrifice mouse will ever make is his life, his flesh, with, will likely turn to fox flesh or hawk flesh or snake flesh. We must not miss that key of mouse medicine. His little seemingly insignificant life is important. 
mouse spirit animal teaches us about the power of humility. When looking at what does mouse mean in your life, know that the little helper is here to remind us that more often than not, our wishes come true in between the lines and inside the ordinary. Answered prayers are between blades of grass and inside fine heads of seed. The universe is conspiring to shower you with tiny, quiet miracles every single moment of your life. Mouse spirit animal knows this. This is what makes Mouse a monk. If only we all could know this. Mouse, in his quiet, unassuming way, prompts us to remember that miracles make sense in the quiet when nothing else clouds our thoughts. Miracles make sense when living a tiny life in a tiny universe. Mouse knows this. This is what Mouse, this is what makes Mouse a monk. If only we could all know this, when we stop looking far and wide and outside of ourselves for the answers and instead truly focus on what is right here with us, we begin to see the divine in the details. One last message from Mouse Spirit Animal. Remember the mystical law that what is small is really big. Oh, that is beautiful. So you can see why I just wanted to read that and how perfect that was. Absolutely. Yeah. And now I really love, I'm in love with little mousies. I know. I'm not going to look at the mouse in the I same know. way every game. Yeah. That's beautiful. So they're all our little mice friends. And if you have a mouse as a familiar, please write in. Yeah. Because people do have them as pets. They're very common and they're one of the first children's pets, if you're that way inclined. Mm. I was never allowed to have a little mouse because my mother absolutely <laughs> is horrified by them and she would be that woman screaming and oh. trying to climb up onto a refrigerator get away from one but after reading that I can truly um, appreciate that symbolism yeah gorgeous so that's wildgratitude.com thank you for that loved it beautifully written yeah isn't it funny though a lot of these um familiars have that either you love them or you hate them kind of vibe like mice spiders snakes yep even owls. Uh, some people get freaked out by owls. Yeah. Um, yeah and it's, it's interesting. visceral. It's an instant mm. love or hate or love or awe. Or even cats. Some people yeah. are cat oh, gosh, yeah. people and others. Tracy hates cats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It it's is. so interesting. Well, my final animal for today is the fox. Mm. And I started going down the big rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, looking at all the Celtic um, mythology and all that, and I bang on about Celtic mythology a lot because that is my lineage, so I am drawn to that. But I came across this amazing um, piece, which I'm going to read out. Oh, beautiful. And it's from a website called Wonderland Japan, which is um, wattention.com. And I'm going to talk about the Japanese kitsune, which literally translates to fox. All right. So in the Japanese language, kitsune, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I have no idea. But anyway, you'll get what I mean. Yes. (laughs) It's K-I-T-S-U-N-E. Kitsune. Kitsune, yeah. Uh, It can mean both a regular fox, a divine fox, or a demon fox. And they can be found all over Japan. And the history of the kitsune goes back to the beginning of Japan itself. So there are 13 different types of kitsune and each have their own element, including heaven, dark, wind, spirit, fire, earth, river, ocean, 
mountain, forest, thunder, time, and sound. Whoa. And I thought that was really freaking cool. So that's what kind of got me into this article. Uh, So, but what is a kitsune and how do you know if you are dealing with a good one or a bad one? Mm. So... Japanese kitsune are shapeshifters. The older a kitsune gets, the more its abilities increase. It's said that when a Japanese fox turns 100 years old, it can turn into a human. Kitsune can be either male or female. Usually a mythical Japanese fox takes the form of a young Japanese girl, beautiful women and older men. In fact, there are many tales of Japanese kitsunes transforming into beautiful women to trap powerful men. One of the Japanese fox's most well-known kitsune abilities is kitsune bai, or foxfire. This is a red flame produced by a kitsune by either breathing or wagging its tail. A mythical Japanese fox uses its, this light to lure in humans. <laughs> that kind of made me think like foxy lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> so kitsune can have as many as nine tails. When a kitsune gains its ninth tail, its fur becomes white or gold. With such powerful abilities, you may wonder how to kill a kitsune. I can't say I did wonder how to kill no, one, but anyway. So why would you? <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so legends say that to kill a Japanese kitsune, you have to cut off all of its nine tails. Oh. And let's talk about the good foxes. Zenko are benevolent, uh, benevolent celestial Japanese foxes and are associated with the god Inari. They're sometimes simply called Inari foxes. Even if they do not have nine tails, these kitsune are always depicted as being white in colour. Inari foxes in Japanese folklore are particularly fond of fried sliced tofu. Wow. So these Japanese foxes have the power to ward off evil and they sometimes serve as guardian spirits. Besides protecting Inari shrines, they also protect the local villages from evil kitsune and other malevolent Japanese foxes. Now let's talk about the evil foxes. The Nogitsune. Nogitsune? I'm sorry, I'm butchering this. <laughs> you, you're trying. I'm trying. <laughs> These Japanese foxes are also part of the yukai category, the demons of Japan. In Japanese folklore, there are stories about kitsune tricking people from all manners of life. The cruel Japanese foxes target the bad traits of humans, such as pride, greed, and vanity. For their own entertainment, these kitsune can bring down even the most devout priest. They rarely attack women, but prefer to possess them instead. Oh, right. That's fun. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) Then using their foxfire kitsune ability, they lure unsuspecting men to their doom. (laughs) Not every non-divine Japanese kitsune is a trickster. There are many stories in Japanese folklore of kitsune falling in love with human with a human man and choosing to live out their lives in the human world. Most of these stories follow the same pattern. A young man falls in love with a beautiful foxy lady and they marry, unaware of the fox's real identity. She proves to be a very loyal and good wife, but once the man discovers, mostly by accident, that his wife is a fox, she must flee to escape from the villagers. <laughs> I never realised you looked like a fox before. <laughs> well, she's a shapeshifter, so yes. she's... Not a fox. Not a fox. When fox wives bear children, they receive a part of their mother's supernatural kitsune abilities. When rain is falling on a clear day, Japanese people say two kitsune are getting married. Of course, this is considered to be a very good omen. 
And maybe the idea of having a Japanese kitsune near you is not appealing at all. Or perhaps someone you know might be possessed by one. So here's some handy step-by-step tools to recognise and expel an unwanted kitsune according to Japanese folklore. So check if your friend's facial features resemble those of a kitsune. (laughs) Okay. Are their eyes a different colour? Or do they have whiskers like a fox? (laughs) (laughs) I plucked mine out. (laughs) Try to find their fox tail. (laughs) All nine. (laughs) If you find it, the kitsune will be so embarrassed and run away. Oh, wow. Or introduce them to a dog. They absolutely hate dogs, so when they see one, they will flee on sight. There you go. If none of these steps work, (laughs) bring your friend to your local Inari shrine and they will take care of it for you. Yikes. So there are not many tips on how to attract a Japanese kitsune in case you wanted a devoted foxy wife. (laughs) However, you could try leaving some fried tofu on your doorstep. You could. So that is the... Fox. So I know it's not so much about the witch's familiar, but I thought a bit of Japanese witchcraft. That's cool. And folklore was yes, yeah, a nice deviation from what we normally talk about. So Point of interest. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Could include all cultures and I thought that was really fascinating. So Perfect. Thank you for doing that. My pleasure. I'm glad I stumbled on that That's in my so cool. rabbit hole of yeah. Googling. So cool. <laughs> Love it. Well, this has been a really lengthy episode, but it's gone in all different areas of the animal kingdom and familiars. It has. And if you have a familiar, we would love to hear from you and um, tell us. Tell us about that relationship and... Tell us about your mm, special bond that you have. That would be amazing. Yeah. So we do have a Divine Tool of the Week, though, to round out this episode. Oh, awesome. And I thought I'd start sharing some lesser-known crystals as part of the Divine Tool of the Week. And Great know, we all know about like rose quartz and amethyst and yes. clear quartz and their beloved properties. You know, properties. Uses, yeah. But there's so many crystals out there that don't get much attention. So True. I thought I'd shine a light on one of those today and I'm going to introduce the beautiful crystal known as scolocyte. Okay. Have you ever? Nope. Oh, there you go. Yay. <laughs> so scolocyte is a hydrous calcium aluminium silicate. That is a member of the zeolite family. The mineral was first reported in 1813 by A.F. Geelan and J.N. I want to say Fux, but it's <laughs> but it's F-U-C-H-S. That's Fux, isn't it? F-U-C-H-S. Or Foosh. 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 <laughs> J.N. Fooshes. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to say Fux. In Germany, it was named for the Greek word meaning worm. This was referring to the stone's tendency to curl when heated with a blowtorch. Oh. Don't ask me why you would heat it with heat blow it with a blowtorch, but if you do, it curls up like a worm. Interesting. So scolocyte is formed in slender prismatic crystals and is also found in abundance in large masses. It ranges in colour from white, pink, purple, yellow and red. Scolocyte can be found in very rare crystal forms in Iceland and a few parts of India but can be found in masses all across the globe, including the USA, Europe, and Africa. And the one I'm going to talk about today is the white scolocyte. That's what I've got um, at home and in my studio. So there is no other crystal in the world that shares scolocyte's exact formation, making it highly distinctive and unique. When sanded and polished into a tumblestone form, the streaks of these needles remain visible. It really is really beautiful. 
The different colours of scolocyte will take on slightly different energies, although its underlying properties will remain relatively similar. So scolocyte is a very high vibration crystal and profoundly peaceful. It aids deep inner peace, meditation and communication, especially with spirit. It offers protection from the intrusion of negative energies or entities. Scholocyte facilitates the opening of information networks and patterns in order to communicate with other worlds, especially with spirit. It facilitates connection to your higher self and higher levels of consciousness to gain a better perspective of your soul journey through this lifetime and beyond. One of the best ways to use Scholocyte is to place it in a room where you frequently spend time alone with your thoughts, such as your bedroom or office. Place it somewhere where it's easily seen every time you enter. It will ward off any anxiety or negative thoughts and induce a feeling of calm and comfort. Scholocyte is a wonderful stone to use for meditation as well as for enhancing sleep and having more lucid dreams. Ooh. So that is Scholocyte and I will once again post a pic to socials this week ahead. Yeah. Uh, It's a really unusual stone but I must say um, in my studio I've got them for sale and when people pick it up, they're always quite taken with it and mm. it's just, it's really unusual. It's different. Do you have a piece for yourself? Yes, I do. When do you use it? Meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. If I'm going to do meditation or any kind of channeling work or. Yeah. Mm. Do you have it around or do you hold it? I hold it if I'm going to meditate, um, but I have it, it's not actually out. I should, probably should put it out um, yeah. on display, but I have it tucked away in my little cabinet of magical tools that I pull yep. out when I do rituals. So. Mm. that's cool yeah interesting yet another crystal i want to source and buy (laughs) (laughs) it sounds incredibly useful Mm. for those times like you were saying the properties and uses it sounds awesome for that yeah if you want to connect to those higher realms yeah Mm. yeah and then the fact that it's got that protective element to it as well yeah against unwanted entities Definitely, yeah. We always need protection when doing yeah any kind of work like that. I guess with astral travel and yeah, so it's a well-rounded like that. stone that it has is. many complementary uses. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah, lovely. Well, that is it. So I hope everyone is it. enjoyed this episode. And we know it was a long one, but it was a fun one. It was a really fun one, and you all keep giving us some beautiful feedback saying you enjoy these episodes where we delve into different mythologies and when you make us read up shit yeah no right i feel like i'm back at school doing an assignment but i love it i really love it so yeah and get in touch and let us know if you've got familiars and your experiences that'd be cool to hear and we'll read them out sure will send in photos of them yes we would love to see them take care until next time we'll see you next week We love bringing Turns Out She's a Witch to you each week at no cost. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation researching, coordinating and producing the show ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making the show. As a thank you, you'll get access to some beautiful guided meditation recordings, a Patreon shout out on the podcast There's monthly live Q&As, competitions and giveaways, as well as a special book and movie review bonus episodes. For more details, please click the link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com. As always, we welcome your questions.
We'd love it if you left a review and shared the podcast with your family and friends and give us a follow over on Insta at turnsout underscore she's a witch. Until next time, thanks for listening and being a part of our podcast coven.